Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to share with you uh, a story. Actually, it's a, a teaching that I heard from Reb Shlomo um, many years ago, and uh, it always stayed with me. And um, I guess, I guess we're going to talk about this in a in a in a, in a deep way um, today, God willing. And um, so, so I just want to start with this because uh, we're going to talk about some very intricate Kabbalistic uh, ideas, God willing. And I just want to frame it with, with this teaching, which is a very simple teaching, actually. But, um, but there, there, there's great depth to it. So, so let's use this just as an introduction and a way of framing the, the, uh, the learning that's going to follow. So I heard Reb Shlomo say in the name of Rabbi Nachman that let's say... Um, a person is by like a bus stop or something like this, and they don't have any uh, Torah with them, like they don't have a, a Torah book, like or a Chumash or something like this, you know. Um, and but it's in their heart very much that they want to learn Torah, but they don't have a Torah with them, you know, a, a a copy. So so what happens then is because their desire to learn Torah is so great, and they haven't got a, a book to learn from. So, so Reb Shlomo said in the name of Rabbi Nachman, there's a Torah below and a Torah above. And so Hashem teaches them from the Chumash above. So that always, that always made, that, that made a very profound uh, impression on me, that teaching, because, you know, I guess I met Reb Shlomo when I was 14, and I started keeping Shabbos when I was 24. And certainly there were many years there where, where I, 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 I wanted very much to learn Torah, but I didn't have a Torah with me. I didn't have a, a Torah book with me or a Chumash with me, but I wanted very much to learn Torah. So I would try to review different things that I had heard from him or different teachings that I had heard. And sometimes, like, I, you know, like very interesting ideas would come that I would find out that this rabbi said or that rabbi said or they were ideas that people hadn't heard before, say, but, but they were consistent with what with, 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 with the Torah was saying in general. And many times I thought of this teaching that I had heard from Reb Shlomo. Is it possible because I really wanted to learn and I didn't have a book with me that somehow maybe, you know, like Rabbi Nachman was saying, you, you, you get taught by the Chumash above, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. But but the the story, this teaching stayed with me for many, many years. So over the years, I've tried to learn more. And um, and I came across a teaching uh, this past week um, from Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver. And it was, it's a, it's a teaching that he's referenced a few times. It's a model that he's referenced a few times over the course of um, this commentary of his called Or Torah, which is a commentary on uh, a sefer called Milo Satora, which was written by the brother of the Vilnagon. And, um, and it was a very mysterious reference. And any time he made reference to this particular area, the, the, the whole teaching that he was in the middle of, in, 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 in my mind and in the mind of the person I was learning with, just shut down completely because we had no way of accessing what, what he was referencing. 
And then this past week, which was um, many months after we had run across this idea and it had reappeared a couple of times, not too often, all of a sudden we had a breakthrough and we were able to say, oh, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. And then we saw that it was actually um, connected to uh, uh, a teaching, or it, not connected to it, is a teaching from the Sefer Yetzirah, which is called the, the Book of Creation. Um, and this is um, ascribed to either, uh, as the writer, either Adam Harishon or Avraham Avinu or Rabbi Akiva. So if these are the three potential authors. Whatever it is, you know, it's the deepest, 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 deepest in the world. And what they're talking about is basically the formation of the universe itself. And, you know, it's real, like, it's like real Kabbalah, like real, real Kabbalah, you know, like the real thing, like, like, for instance, making a golem, like if you wanted to create a, a humanoid, right? How would you do that? Like they say that from, from letter combinations from the Sefer Yutziri, you can actually combine letters and you could actually bring things into reality. You, could, you can create things out of, out of the letters themselves, out of the combinations of the letters themselves. And actually this thing, that, that this mysterious thing that was being referenced by uh, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver, was actually this model of creating things out of letters. And, and it, it goes back actually even deeper than that to actually one of the ways, um, to the extent that we can talk about this or even begin to have a language to wrap our minds around this, how God created the world, right? How God used the energy of the letters in order to bring about creation itself. Remember, we say that the that God that the Torah itself existed before the world was created, and what that means is is that is that God had a plan for the world before He created the world. That's what it means. There was a Torah before the world, not that there was a book floating around, because there was no time or space, right? So when we talk about the Torah that existed before the world was created, we're talking about God's plan for the world, God's desire for the world before he created the world, right? And that, 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 can, that, that bit of imagery, that Torah before the world was created, that, that bit of imagery can, 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 can take on many forms or different, um, different paradigms, depending on how you want to think about it. That can be God's outer garment of light that he's using to form and shape into the world. Like if you think of E equals MC squared, right? How, how Einstein formulated how energy can be formed into matter, right? This is, this is what we're talking about. When we're talking about God's, an aspect or God's outer garment of light, forming that, that's energy being transformed into matter, right? Um, and we also talk about how God used the, 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 the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in order to form them, and he, he used them to, to create the world. So again, what, what, is that, what is that saying? That's talking about the, the Torah 
before the world was created or God's, God's will for the world, which was the Torah. The Torah is God's plan for the world, right? So the letters, the, 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 the Torah is written with letters, right? So each of these letters, even before um, the Torah actually um, becomes written, right, existed in, 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 in their highest letter, their highest manifestations of light, if you will. And God shaped those, those letters. Like we talk about the Torah itself, the printed Torah, the, the, the book form Torah, the scroll form Torah, as the, as the infinite compressed into the finite. That's what we're talking about, that it started off as this infinite level of like energy or light, and then it becomes focused down into something that actually becomes Letters, right? And words. One of the interesting things is, is that, is that when Mashiach comes, we're going to see that the Torah never stopped being written. Right? That all of the events leading up to Mashiach and throughout history, since the Torah was quote-unquote canonized or finished, right? We're going to see that actually the Torah never stopped being written. And they talk about how, the Kabbalists talk about how it will be the same sequence of letters that we have in, in the Torah that exists right now, but the spaces in between the words are going to change. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why we don't vowelize, put vowels in the, in the Torah scroll, because once you put vowels in, then you've sort of locked down each word, Right? But if you haven't locked down the words with vowels yet, then the spaces between the words can shift and you can find out new stories. Right? Stories that have been like of personal amazing sacrifice and an incredible chesed and kindness that have been, been done and, and great acts of, you know, you, know, you know, service to God that have been done. And these will be manifest. These will become manifest. So, so again, again, we have this idea of the formation of the world happening through letters. And what happens is, is that, is that there's a light coming down. There's a light, heavenly light coming down. And depending upon your actions and what level you're on, your actions interact with the light coming down and then that's what spells the words. So if you're on a very low level, then what's getting spelled, the story being told, is the story of something on a low level. If you're accessing that energy that's coming down and you rise to the occasion and you do something great, then your actions interact with that energy coming down and what gets spelled out is something amazing, a great story. So in this way, this is how the Torah is, is being written to this, to this day, to this moment. It's us interacting with this energy, this divine energy, this divine light, which are the letters on the highest level in potential, and then they interact with us, and then they become formed into words. So now... With this in mind, with this in mind, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver, 
explains a, one of the most famous, crucial chapters or, or stories, accounts, in, in the entire Talmud. Very, very fundamental, but he's going to give an explanation which is remarkable, in my opinion, absolutely remarkable. Okay, so you may have, you may be familiar with this account, with this, with this account that I'm going to tell you, but I don't think that you've heard it explained in this way. I, I certainly haven't. So, this is from um, from the Talmud in Baba Metzia. It's uh, on page Nun Tet Ahmed Beis. Right, 59b, and uh, and it tells the it tells the account about a, a debate in the in the in the Talmudic academies, right, um, between uh, Rabbi Eliezer, who said to the sages that a a certain type of oven was tahor. Like if you um, if if you took this oven apart and you put it back together again. The, 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 it's more detailed than that. You have to look at the actual details. But basically, because you took something that was tame, spiritually impure, the oven, and then because you took it apart and reassembled it, right, that you made a new creation. And since that new, that new creation now would be Tahor, it wouldn't... It wouldn't um, inherits, so to speak, the ritual state that it had been in before, right? The, the sages disagreed with him, okay? And again, the, the actual debate between them is more detailed. You have to look at all the details, but, but that's the general idea. And, and Rabbi Eliezer, after advancing all of the arguments in the world, why he's right, then, then it goes to the next level because they didn't accept it. And he said to them, if the halacha, if the ruling accords with me, he says, let this carob tree prove it. And the carob tree uprooted itself and moved 100 amos, right? An ama is about four feet. And some say it moved 400 amos. So this is an open, an absolute open miracle that's happening in front of the eyes of the sages. And they said, no, that doesn't prove anything. Right? And they said that you can't bring a proof from a carob tree. Okay? By the way, interestingly, um, according to Jewish law, a prophet even a kosher prophet, right? We're not talking about a false prophet right now. We're talking about a real prophet. Could not paskin halacha through prophecy. So that's, that's just an interesting thing to know. It's a, it's a separate point, but, but it's, a, it, it's, it's something else. You, you'd have to use your mind in the here and now. Not, not through prophecy do you decide on halacha. So that's consistent with what we're going to be learning here. So let's go back to the Gomorrah. He then said to them, if the, if the ruling is like me, if the halacha goes accord with me, let the canal prove it. And the water in the canal started flowing in the opposite direction. And they weren't convinced by that either. Right? 
And they said to him, you can't bring proof from a water canal. And then he says, if the halacha, right, if the ruling is in accordance with me, let the walls of the study house prove it. And at that point, the walls of the study house started to lean in and started to fall. Like the walls of the room were starting to collapse around the people in the room. And Rabbi Yeshua rebuked the walls. And he said, if Torah scholars argue with one another in a discussion of halacha, what business is it of yours? And then it says that the walls, out of respect to Rabbi Yeshua, didn't fall. But they didn't go back to their original state either out of respect to Rabbi Eliezer. It's incredible, you know? I mean, you get the chills. Like, it's, it's amazing. And it says that they continue, the Gomorrah says, they continue to lean to this day. Right? I mean, you can, each one of these lines, you could spend hours on. Hours and hours on. But we're not, we're not done yet. Then Rabbi Eliezer said, if the halakha is like me, let heaven prove it. And a voice like a baskola, an echo from heaven, came down and proclaimed, What argument do you have with Rabbi Eliezer, whom the halakha follows in all places? Now, that would seem to end the argument, right? Uh, after that, it's, it's over. You, everyone heard a voice from heaven saying, why are you arguing with Rabbi Eliezer? It's, the halakha is like him. The, the, the ruling is like him in every instance. To which Rabbi Yeshua stood on his feet and declared, Lo bashamayim he. The Torah is not in heaven. And the Gomorrah goes on. They want to know, to clarify, what does that mean it's not in heaven? And Rabbi Yirmiya says that, and I'm going to read to you, from the art scroll now, it means that we pay no heed to a heavenly echo in matters of halacha, for the Torah was already given to human beings at Mount Sinai. So, so it goes on to say that we don't pay attention to, to a baskol, to a heavenly echo, in terms of paskening halacha, deciding Jewish law, because you already wrote the Torah at Mount Sinai, and according to the majority of the sages, that's how we decide things. So, so in other words, there's this amazing partnership that's taking place between us and God in terms of the Torah. Now, let me just tell you what this doesn't mean so no one's confused, it doesn't mean that therefore we can now say pork is kosher or we can say that, you know what, I can do, uh, I can spend money and get in my car on Shabbos. That's, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. That therefore the halacha is in my hand and I can decide whatever I want to decide. It means that using the mitzvahs as we've understood them and the halacha as we've inherited it over the generations, 
that there will be new questions and that if we're working within the halacha as we've received it from generation to generation in an authentic way from Mount Sinai, then at that point, the halacha is in our hands. And, then, and that God has made us partners with him to sort of work with the Torah with our own human understanding of it. And then that becomes the authentic halacha. Now, Rabbi Nasan met Eliyahu Hanavi, right? Elijah the prophet, right? Who's going to announce the coming of Mashiach. And he said to him, what was God's reaction when Rabbi Yeshua said, Lo, he, the Torah is not in heaven, that you gave God, you gave it to us for us to decide the halacha. And Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet's response was that God was laughing and saying, my children have prevailed over me. My children have prevailed over me. God loved it. God loved it. So, so this is, this is a, this is an amazing, 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 amazing Gomorrah. Because it, 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 it shows you, it shows you so many things. It shows you the greatness of Torah. It shows you the greatness of the sages. It shows you the greatness of human beings. It shows you the greatness of our partnership with God. It shows you our crucial role in it. But it also shows you that these people were working within the divine tradition such that if we, so to speak, disagreed with heaven, nonetheless, God said, yes, you're right. In this instance, absolutely, you're right. So, so there's so much going on here. There's so much, really, I mean, in a lot of ways, all of life, you can say, is contained within this Gomorrah. Now, let me tell you what, to the best of my understanding, what Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says on this. He, he makes reference, you see, let, let's start with, um, with something called Albam. Okay, we've talked about Atbash before, which is, um, there's a, a number of ways. Remember, if you actually pick up a Chumash, the, the, a copy of the five books of Moses, right? And you kind of just hold it in your hand and just kind of look at it from, from, the, from the, the thickness of it. And you realize, like, especially, like, say, if you have a, 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 an edition in English, for instance, right? You'd have to cut that in half because half of it is already in English. And then you've got Ankylos there and you've got Rashi there, so then it becomes even more narrow, right? And then you've got all the commentary on the bottom of the page, right? You'd have to lose all of that. How, how thick, how big is, are the five books exactly? How big are they actually? Really small, really small. And yet we say, the entire world is contained within it. <laughs> Every bit of wisdom, everything is contained within it. All of history can be found in there. All of the future can be found in there. Everything, every science, every bit of knowledge, every event that's taking place, right, can be found within there. 
How is that possible? How is that possible? Again, because we say that the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. Now, the sages have given us all these tools to unpack all of the levels within the Torah itself. We already know that there's something called pardes, which is four levels of learning Torah. Pshat, which is the more simple meaning. Then there's um, remez and drush and so the secret levels, all the different, all the different levels. But there's also the 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 um, the trap, the, the 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 musical cantillations, which are teaching us like how to interpret the verses properly and how to punctuate the the verses properly. And then we've got gematria, the numerical numbers of the words and the letters, which are allowing us to plumb the depths of certain things, right? And then we also have something called letters of exchange. And the Gemara, the Talmud itself talks about this in Mesecta Shabbos, Kuf Dalit. So one system is Atbash. We've talked about that quite a bit. But there's another system. Actually, there's several systems. There's another system called Albam. And Albam is similar to Atbash, but it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So there are 22 letters of the Torah, rather of the Hebrew alphabet, right? And so you could divide that into um, two lines of 11 letters each. So you can make one line of 11 letters, and underneath that, put a second line of 11 letters, right? So if you put the first line of 11 letters, right, it would be Aleph, through the letter Chaf, right? Which would be the 11th letter. And then underneath the Aleph, you would begin the second line of 11 letters, which would be Lamed through Taf, right? So if you can picture that in, under your mind, underneath the letter Aleph would be the letter Lamed, right? So the, the, there would be the first letter, and then the first of the second row, which would be the 12th letter, actually, right? So Aleph, Lamed, and then the next then you move from Aleph to base, and it would be base Mem, right? So they call that Al-Bam, because Aleph Lamed spells Al, and base Mem spells Bam, Al-Bam. Okay, very good. So you think that's so simple? <laughs> you know what comes from Al-Bam? You have any idea what comes from Al-Bam? So, so again, this is one of the many ways, and if you want to see a nice overview, by the way, because another, another way that uh, the, the Torah is communicating its, its secrets to us and its infinite levels to us is um, through the crowns of the letters. And, and we talked about the crowns of the letters, also known as the tagin. Um, if you want to hear that talk, I recommend that talk. It's called, I called it the cosmic reach of the Torah. Right? That's, that's worth listening to. And it's actually a good partner with this talk that, that we're giving right now um, to put those two together. But anyway, um, the introduction, if you want to read it in, in English, the Art Scroll, um, Art Scroll put out an English translation of the Balaturim, uh, uh, who is a, one of the greatest um, of the Rishonim about a thousand years ago. And they have an introduction in the beginning of the very first volume for, for Breshis, for Genesis. And they talk about in the introduction there all these different systems. 
and some systems that I didn't include as well. Okay? But let's get back to album. Basically, with album, what you're doing is you're splitting the Torah or you're splitting the Hebrew alphabet. And what did we say? Because we have to review this point. We said that God created the world out of the letters. Right? Right? The energy of the letters. Even before they were letters, they existed in the, the highest energy potential form of themselves. Right? So, so we're taking the olive base. And by the way, just a beautiful teaching, just so, so this doesn't become too intellectual. We have to understand the reality of this because we're talking, about, we're talking about the world right now, the world that we're interacting with at this moment. Remember, each one of us are compared to letters in the Torah. We're letters. So when we talk about letters, we're not talking about anything so abstract. We're talking about you and me also, right? We're letters in the Torah. So Reb Shlomo said that, that when the wind rustles through the trees, the sound that it makes is in Hebrew. Right? The rustling of the leaves in the tree in the wind, that sound is actually in Hebrew. That's because Hebrew is the language of creation. Right? So, so, so that, I, that's a very resonant teaching for me because you realize how all-encompassing the energy of the Hebrew letters are, like on an ongoing basis. It's not just, oh, we're talking about some very esoteric things right now. No, it's, it's in the here and the now, right now, okay? So, so remember, God made the world out of the Hebrew letters, okay? Now we have this constant, we have this, this, this construct that, the, remember, the sages in the Gomorrah are giving us this construct called Albam. Now, remember, God made the world out of the letters. So we have the upper tier and we have the lower tier. Now, what that correlates with is the upper worlds and the lower worlds. Ah, okay, now we're starting to communicate a little bit, right? We're talking about, in some ways, the heavenly dimensions and the earthly dimensions. It's not just simple, you're taking two lines of letters and putting 11 and 11. We're talking about something much more far-reaching and much, much deeper. Okay? Above and below. All right. Now, it starts to take off into the stratosphere. Okay? Because... The sages, or Adam Arishon, or Avram Avinu, or Rabbi Akiva, right? And remember, there's a, in the Gomorrah, the Gomorrah records a conversation between Moshe and God, asking God, why didn't you give the Torah to Rabbi Akiva? So, I mean, when we're talking about Rabbi Akiva, we're talking about, okay, so, so, so whoever wrote this Sefer Yetzirah, whoever is the author of what I'm about to tell you, Adam Arishon, the very first person who had a glimpse of the world before it became sullied or darkened with sin, right? He had the purest view of the world of anyone. Either he's the author, ultimate clarity, or Abraham Avinu, right? The restorer of monotheism, the one who reminded the world that there's only one God, that's ultimate clarity. Or it's Rabbi Akiva. 
who Moshe said, why did you give it to me? You should have given the Torah to him, the entirety of the Torah. So whoever the source of this is, we're talking from a place of ultimate clarity right now. So, so there was an understanding from the Sefi Yetzirah that the building blocks of all of creation, in other words, we're talking about how God from nothingness created materiality, physic, physicality. In the fancy way of saying it is creation ex nihilo, right? That's something out of nothing. So what are the stages? What are the stages where nothing becomes something? This is what we're trying to figure out. And we know that it happened with the energy of the letters. So it's so the Sefer Yetzirah says that that the primary the primary unit are combinations of two letters, two letter units. Now remember, let's go back to Albam, right? Where we've got the eleven above and the eleven below of the twenty-two letters of the alphabet, which is the materials, right, for creation. And each thing is being combined in two letter units. Al, Alaflamid, Bam, right? So you see that the, the intent of that is combinations linking the above to the below or the below to the above through these two-letter units. So now the Sefi Yetzirah asks, how many two-letter units are there? What are the possible number of permutations of two-letter units? And they do the math, and the answer is fascinating. The answer is a whole chapter of the Sefer Yetzirah. It's a whole field of Kabbalistic Torah study in terms of creating things out of nothingness. And the answer is 231. And these are known as the 231 gates. Now, just like Albam, right, has an above and a below, so there's 231 gates above and 231 gates below, which gives you 462 total gates. Now, how is a gate to be understood? So I saw this explanation. I thought it was very, very nice. One letter would be like a pillar, and another letter, the second letter, because we're talking about units of two letters. One letter is a pillar, the next letter is a second pillar. That creates an entranceway for you to walk through. That's what makes a gate. But once you walk through the gate, if you turn around, now the letters are in opposite orders. Right? Because what was on your, if there was an olive on your left hand side, once you walk through the gate and turn around, now it's on your right hand side. Okay? So that's the 231 gates above and the 231 gates below, making 462. 
Now, I wish I, I had the words to be able to describe to you the chart that comes from these permutations. The people here I've shown the chart to, and I'll try to post it, but it's quite incredible. Um, if you had that, if you had that, if you were to make a circle, right? And, and by the way, 231, just so you know, is 22 times 21. That's, that's how we get that number. That's how you combine each letter with another letter. Because we don't want to do Aleph and Aleph, because that's not a combination. That, that's just it in itself, okay? So we, if we want to c combine each letter with another letter, since there are 22 letters, and you can't combine a letter with itself, it would be 22 times 21. And that, that gives you 231, just in case you want to know what the math is. Now, to describe this chart to you, if you get Rabbi Ari Kaplan's book, Sefer Yetzirah, it would be on page 111. And the only way I can describe it is it's a circle with 22 points around it. So the, the circle has been divided up into 22 slices, so to speak. And there's a letter on each side of the outer perimeter to show you which letter the, the dot on the, on the circumference corresponds to. And then every letter is being connected with every other letter. So you have this incredibly rich geometric design which is filling this circle. And if you, if you remember um, as a game, Spirograph, I don't know if you ever had Spirograph, where you would make incredibly intricate geometrical designs within circles, it looks something like that. That's, that's probably the best I can do in terms of describing it. So now, we're still explaining the Gomorrah, and now we have, we're ready for the next step in terms of understanding Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver's understanding of what went on in terms of this heavenly debate. So, you see, it's possible to say a, an idea in the Torah, which can be a legitimate idea in the Torah, but it's not the halacha. And if you look in the Gomorrah, Probably the majority of the, I'm just guessing, but, but, but a huge amount, let's just say, of the Gomorrah is our greatest sages giving different opinions, and then ultimately they decide on, on, on something. But many, many times you'll have our greatest people, including Rabbi Akiva, by the way, our greatest, greatest, greatest minds ever, offering an opinion, but that doesn't end up being what the majority says, and that doesn't end up being the practical halacha, the ultimate ruling in terms of what our practice in this world is. So how can that be? We say Torah temet. The Torah is a Torah of truth. So what are you telling me that you're giving an answer and you're a great person and you know the Torah and you're holy, and yet somehow your answer isn't the answer? That seems strange, actually. Right? I mean, we're used to that, but if you actually think about it, there's an exactness that seems to be missing. 
So how is that working? And how is that working in this Gemara where Rabbi Eliezer is saying the answer and he's giving every explanation and he's bringing down absolute miracles in front of the face of everyone and the voice of heaven itself is saying the halachas like Rabbi Eliezer and then Rabbi Eliezer still doesn't, the, the halacha still doesn't go like it. Was he right? Was he wrong? What, what is going on? So Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Haver says something amazing. Now let's return back to our model, Albam, right? We have, remember, God created the world through the Hebrew letters, right? And we can divide the 22 letters, the first line of 11, the bottom line of 11. That's the system of Albam, right? And that signifies the above and the below. And he says that the Torah itself has a heavenly aspect to it and an earthly aspect to it. And that Rabbi Eliezer was telling you the halacha according to how it is in heaven. But the sages get to decide how it is on earth. How those letters come down and form into the pathway that we follow here. Now remember I started with that story that there's a Torah above and a Torah below and that if you really, really want to learn the Torah that, and you don't have any Torah that God teaches you from the Torah above. If you really want it, that means that you really, really want it. That means that your heart is open and your heart is sincere. The beginning of the Sefer Yetzirah says that there are 32 pathways. Now, now that's, that, that's, that's very interesting because if, and it uses the word nativ for path, and I'm reading out of the Sefer Yetzirah right now, and it says the numerical value of the word nativ, right? Because it begins by saying there are 32 pathways. That's the opening line, I think, in the Sefer Yetzirah, in the book of creation that we're discussing right now. So it says there are 32 pathways, nativ, 32 nativ, right? Now, do you know what the gematria, the numerical equivalent of the word nativ is? 462, which is 231 plus 231. These are the pathways, right? Above and below. And amazingly, and this is kind of came to me during davening this morning, gematria, the gematria of the word, of the number 32 is heart. Lave is heart. But listen to this. The Kain Gadol put what was called the Choshen Mishpat over his heart. And the Hoshin Mishpat, that was the, you know, the, the, the breastplate, right? On it were inscribed all of the tribes of Israel, right? So it was, it started with Ruvain, it went in birth order. Ruvain, right? And then Shimon, and then Levi, and then it started the next row. It was four rows of three. But you want to hear something interesting? 
there are two letters missing from, uh, or maybe it's three letters that are missing from the names of the tribes. And so they, one of them is Kuf, and one of them is um, is Tuf, and there's a, another another one missing as well. Uh, I'll have to think about it. But so what they did was, in addition to the um, names of the tribes of Israel, additionally they engraved on the Choshen Mishpat on the breastplate of the of the of the high priest of the going Kohen Gadol. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Because from, from uh, Yitzchak, they, they got the letter Kuf. Because the letter Kuf is not in any of the names of the tribes of Israel. And I think the other letter was Ches also. I don't think Ches is there. Um, and Tuf is, that, is not there either. Or Tet, rather. Tet. So, so they also wrote um, uh, Shifte Ka, which means the, um, the, 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 the tribes of Hashem, the tribes of God. And Shifte has a Ted in it. And it said that it didn't have, the tribes of Israel didn't have the letters Chet or Ted in it, because that spells Chet, which means sin. And so as a unit... The tribes of Israel are without any sin. So there's no chit in it. Now, isn't it interesting? I want to just tell you what my thought was. Isn't it interesting that the Sefer Yetzirah starts to say that there are 32 pathways, divine pathways. And the word for pathway, again, is nativ. And nativ is 462 which are the 30, 231 letter combinations above and the 30, 231 letter combinations below. These are all the pathways, right? All the wiring, all the divine wiring of the universe is in that 462. But it all emanates from the word length, the 32 pathways, right? Isn't it interesting, and these are all the letter combinations, that the coin Gadol, on his lave, on his heart, had to have all of the letters of the olive base. And to the extent that letters were missing, they had to add words that contained those letters that were missing in order to ensure that on the heart of the high priest, all of the letters would be present. Because the priest's prayer, the high priest's prayer, when he would go into the coin to the Holy of Holies, right? The Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, he was like cleansing the entire universe. Or God was cleansing the entire universe. But it was coming through his prayers, through his avoda. And all the letters were coming up and all the letters of the whole universe were getting like a holy mikvah, a holy bath, holy cleansing. So they all had to be present there. Now listen to this. It, it's, it gets more amazing. It gets more amazing. Because 231, you ready for this? 231, if you take the name Israel, you can divide up the word Israel 
to Yesh Ra'el. Do you know what that is? That means there are 231. Yesh, Yud Shin, that's the beginning of the word Israel, Yisrael, and then it's Resh, 200, Aleph, 1, Lamed, 30, 231. That's Yisrael. That means the Jewish people, through the Torah, are connecting and hitting all of the all of the points of creation. All of the points of creation. Not only that, but you have another way of understanding the building blocks of creation that the Sefi Yetzirah talks about, which is not just two-letter combinations, but three-letter combinations. And we know that a shorish in Hebrew, that means the root of a word, Right? The root of a word is actually a three-letter construct. Right? So the most elemental combination for something to be in the category of creation would be like getting into the two-letter combinations. Now you're making something, right? But the three letters are the, are the roots now. Right? This is more manifest. Now, how many possible taking the all the permutations of the 22 letters, how many roots can you have in, in, in the Hebrew language? And the answer is 1,540. All right? That's, that's the math. That's how many possible permutations from three letters, if you're starting with 22 letters, three-letter combinations you can have, 1,540. Now listen to this, another mind-blower. You know, the letter Aleph is one in Gematria, because it's the first letter of the Aleph base, and we know. So, 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 but Aleph, Aleph, which is basically the word Aleph, means a thousand. So there's some systems which, you know, get more deeper, more mystical, where you count numerically the number Aleph as a thousand. Not, not, not as one. If you count the letter Aleph as a thousand, Yisrael adds up to 1,540, which is all the possible three-letter combinations, all the possible roots that can be done. So you see simultaneously, Israel either means Yesh 231, which is talking about all these letter combinations on the, on the, on the, on the level of two, or, it's one th or Israel is 1,540, which is all the possible combinations using three-letter three roots, which is the formation of words now, because that would be like words and nouns and verbs and everything like that. Those are even more, the more um, concrete building blocks. Right, so so we've got um, what's what's known as a form of tzimtzum going on right now. So tzimtzum, on one level of tzimtzum, is the idea that God is taking His light and He's compacting His light until you have something physically manifest, right? Like the 
the example that I always like to give is that if you think of um, if you think of uh, water, right? Let's start with ice. Okay, what's the molecule that of ice? It's H two O, right? Because it's it's frozen water. So now let's say the ice warms, it melts, and it becomes water. What's the molecule of water? H2O. It's the same thing. Well, it changed form. It's the same thing. Now let's say you boil the water and it becomes steam or water vapor. Now you can't even see it with your eye. What's the molecule of the water vapor? H2O. It changed form again, but it's still the same essence. Right? Now using that as a framework, we went from the material to the spiritual just now. Let's go from the spiritual to the material. God takes his light, right, his heavenly H2O, so to speak, right? And we talk about that. We talk about the upper waters and the lower waters, by the way, you know? And he condenses it and condenses it and condenses it, and it's all heavenly light. But it goes from the spiritual to the concrete. So now we've got another form of this, understanding it, within the paradigm of the letters themselves, of the 231 above. Remember Albam. We're taking all the elemental ingredients that God used to make creation, all the energy, all the energies, right? We've got the first 11 on top. And by the way, according to, um, you know, many Kabbalistic systems or all Kabbalistic systems, it just depends on how you understand it, you can either understand it as 10 sphera or 11 sphera, right? So it's very interesting that, that it's 11 above and 11 below, right? So because that's paralleling the sphera in a very deep way. But anyway, you've got this idea of these two-letter roots being more compacted and becoming three-letter roots. In other words, these sort of like sub-roots, if you will, are now becoming words themselves, they're becoming more manifest. And it's through these exercises of working within these letters that they say a person create, can create a golem, meaning to say that they can actually bring objects into formation. Right? But this is very rarefied and is not really accessible to us. But nonetheless, you see that this is the framework and the model of not just building a golem, but, but much more significantly to creating the world. So now I want to add a, 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 a PS, a PS to Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver's understanding of this Gomorrah. This is me speaking at this point. So, so Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says, he says, that Rav Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer, was saying the proper, he was saying the proper understanding, but he was saying it from the Torah above, from the 231 above, right? But that it wasn't relevant to this world, this dimension, this dimension, and that the majority of the rabbis themselves are now in charge of actually bringing that into the world through their, through their understanding. So with that in mind, I'd like to suggest the following. That because he was taking his understanding 
from the upper worlds, right? And he was bringing that svara, that das, that understanding into this world. That's why it was producing miracles. Because he was bringing heaven, heavenly energy down into this world. And that's what was causing the, the otherworldly, the other thisworldly things to be happening. Like carob trees to be uprooting themselves and water to be running backwards. Right? And walls to be caving in. And things like this. That's, that's where the miraculous energy was coming from because he was drawing his understanding from the upper realms of the Torah, the heavenly realms of the Torah, and bringing it into this world. And that was impacting this world in all sorts of like dramatic ways. So, so we see so many, we see so many amazing, amazing things from this. First, the fact that the word Yisrael Right, which is the the name of the Jewish people. That that means Yesh two thirty one, that we are in possession through the Torah and through the mitzvot to be able to access all of the divine pathways from this world to the next world. Right, all the and and that when you do a voda, when you when you serve God with your lave, with your heart, remember the pathways of the heart. Nativ adds up to 462, which is the below going to the above, through your heart, through your understanding, through your sincerity, through your dveikaskite, through your attaching yourself to God. You're able to impact the entire universe, all of creation. Okay. Here are some questions and answers. Who, who was saying it's not according to <coughs> Eliezer? Does he give reasons in the? Uh, I mean, like yeah. I understand the uh, well, sort of <laughs> below and above, but um, like yes, they have. They basically his his again. You have to look at the details of the case, but his their understanding. The, the rabbis, the majority's understanding was that if something, if this oven were um, tame, were spiritual imp- spir- spiritually impure for whatever reason, and you took it apart and you put it back together again, you wouldn't change the status of it. That's the other opinion. That's the other side of it. And they gave their they give their arguments why that's the more um, the more this world understanding, the more practical halacha in terms of what we have to adhere to. Mm-hmm. So they weren't just dismissing his thing. They, they, they understood the case in their way and they, they heard his explanations, but they didn't agree with them. Which is, you know, that happens all the time in the Gomorrah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this is the most dramatic, <laughs> this is the most dramatic instance. See, because we say... These and these are the words of the living God. Elu ve'elu, right? That's, so a lot of people don't understand, like, how could it be? There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. Right. So how could, how could two people be saying opposite things and you're saying they're both right? Right. So but now we're... Isn't Emmet one? 
Well, now, but now we're getting a deeper understanding of how it works. Now we're getting a much more sophisticated understanding. How, how you, if you are really a great Chacham, if you are really a great Talmud Chacham, a great Torah scholar, and you're a holy person, that you're reaching into the upper reaches of the Torah itself, to the heavenly spheres of the Torah itself, and you're actually understanding the case in a very real way, but, but that your understanding, while true and real, is not the understanding from this dimension that we're interacting in right now, and that there's no contradiction, that it's still very authentic and real and true, but it's not the halacha of how we live in this world. You see, I'll tell you something, uh, or something related. Hopefully that was clear, but, but I, I'll tell you something else. It sounds like we're switching the subject. We're not switching the subject. There's something called um, Morris Ayan. Mor- Morris Ayan means um, the appearance of wrongdoing. Right. Okay. Well, I thought about that, actually. Yeah. So uh, you're not... The oven that you were, you were saying. Oh, I thought about that, that what is the human thing... No, 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 but I'm going to say something else. Oh, oh, so, so, it's okay. So, um, so, a lot of people say, like, for instance, you're not supposed to walk into a McDonald's um, to get a soda, say. So you say, well, wait a second. Let's think about this. The soda's coming out of a machine. It's not interacting with any of the unkosher meat. So really, what's the end of the world if I'm getting a, a, a soda from the from the from the uh, from the McDonald's, okay? So, so the issue isn't really strictly speaking. Strictly speaking, the issue isn't really of kashrus of keeping kosher or not. The issue is you're walking into a McDonald's, and someone who knows that you keep kosher or thinks that you keep kosher sees you walking into a McDonald's, and then assumes that you're eating at McDonald's, that you're not just getting a soda, that you're going to have like a hamburger or cheeseburger or something like this. So you say, well, wait a second. I'm, and so therefore you shouldn't do it. And by the way, I heard that there's a Chinese saying, Chinese proverb or whatever it is, that you shouldn't bend down to tie your shoes in your neighbor's pumpkin patch. Why? Because if you bend down to tie your shoes in your neighbor's pumpkin patch, what does it look like you're doing? You're about to uproot your neighbor's pumpkin and steal his fruit, steal his belongings. You say, well, I'm just tying my shoe. Yeah, but to the owner who sees you bending down in his pumpkin patch, he doesn't think you're tying your shoes. He thinks you're stealing his, his belongings. So again, you should understand that this, that this understanding of not appearing to do the wrong thing is something that's multicultural, that other societies have this as well. They have this understanding as well. This isn't just the Jews being overly strict or something like this. This is normal wisdom. This is regular wisdom. But you might say, well, wait a second. I'm a very sincere person, and I keep kosher. And if I'm walking into McDonald's, he should know that I'm not doing anything wrong. Maybe I'm just using the bathroom. Maybe I'm, I'm, I have to give a message to someone who's there. It's not my problem that I'm walking into the McDonald's. If he thinks that I'm doing something wrong by walking into the McDonald's, it's his problem. And many people have this issue in terms of, because by the way, there's a lot of the, 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 um, 
The issue of Morris Ayin, of not appearing to be doing something wrong, is all over halacha. It's all over halacha. And by the way, there are even instances of Morris Ayin if you're alone in your house. And you say, well, wait a second, who's going to see me? Who's going to see me doing anything wrong? There has to be an issue of Morris Ayin inside my house by myself. But there are issues of that as well. So you have to understand how far-reaching the concept of Morris Ayin is. Okay, so what, how are we... Doesn't sound like it sounds like we completely changed the subject right now. Like, how are we talking about the same thing right now? Because to the person who would say it's that guy's problem if he sees me walking into a McDonald's, it's his problem that he's not judging me favorably. It's not my problem because I'm not doing anything wrong. It's his problem. He's got to learn how to judge other people favorably. And by the way, one of the foundations of Judaism is what we call judging other people meaning to say that you have to judge other people favorably. So now even more so, it seems like there shouldn't be an issue walking into McDonald's and having a soda, right? Because we have this foundation, you have to judge everybody favorably, right? And yet, while that teaching does exist, the halacha is you can't walk into the McDonald's. And I'll tell you how I understand that. I understand that, that yes, it's good to judge other people favorably, and we must judge other people favorably. Rabbi Nachman says, when you judge another person favorably, peace enters into the world, right? Because that's, think about it, on just a very practical level, it's not mystical, really. Because that would have been the source of a fight. That would have been the source of Lashon Hara. But now that you've judged him favorably, all of a sudden, there's no issue. So there's no Lashon Hara, there's no fight, there's no problem. Peace actually has entered into the world. Nonetheless, we say don't walk into the McDonald's. Because even though you do have an obligation to judge other people favorably, people will assume the worst. (laughs) People will assume wrongdoing. We are wired in that way to assume wrongdoing. And because that's the reality of human beings, the halacha goes according to the reality of human beings and says, you have to be careful of that because that's the dimension that we live in right now. These are the rules. This is the way this realm is wired such that people will go, ah, look at that guy. He thinks he's so this and that and the other thing. I saw him walking into McDonald's the other day. And since that's the reality that we're dealing with in terms of human nature, the halacha goes according to that. And while it tells you you have to give people the benefit of the doubt and you can't gossip and everything like that, nonetheless, you have to be sensitive to the fact that this is the way people are. And you have to avoid creating problems. So again, we have a world of peace. We have the upper realms where everything is beautiful, where I can walk into, you know, the McDonald's because I have to, whatever, get a drink of water or give a message to a friend or whatever it is. But then we have the Torah as it exists down below, which is incorporating all of the rules and all the X factors of human nature and things like that. 
And so what might be a very true opinion above, down below, is not the actual halacha, is not the actual practice. But Hashem created us and He knows all our thoughts and all our... Uh, Hashem knew that. Why, why, you know, why did He leave room for, you know, like, okay, now because He says that is one, then why can't it be one thing being, you know, saying not having 50 things being right, everybody being right at the same time? You know what I mean? Yeah, Creating so... down in your mind, of, you know? Well, but, but you can look at it that way, but you can also look at it in another way, in a very beautiful way, which is that God has made us partners with him, and God is looking to us to finish, to finish off the Torah. This is the whole idea of Torah Shabbat Peh. It's what I was kind of discussing last week, actually, the whole idea that the first four books of the Torah, right, are straight from God, and the fifth book of the Torah is from Moshe. But then after Moshe says it, God says, okay, now write it down. So the fifth book is also from God. But it comes through Moshe. In other words, you have this handoff of Torah Shebek Tzav to, 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 to Torah Shebaal Peh. From the written word to the, to the human understanding, the human processing the word of God and bringing it out to its final form. And then God says, yes, that's what it is. And that mirrors the entire process of the world of us being partners with God in terms of finishing off creation. Right? That's what we're doing. We're in, we're, that's what Mashiach is all about. We're, we're right here on the one yard line, basically. And we're working with, with God. God has given us the tools to finish off creation. That's the whole idea of the bris milah. Right? God creates an entire human being with all the intricacies he couldn't remove one flap of skin? Why? Of course God could have removed that flap of skin. But God wants us to be partners with him to finishing it off. He's giving us a job to do. And that job to do is to work within all of the Torah and to bring out from the 50 opinions, or whatever it is, that one that we all agree on and that we all practice. Okay, so maybe they're different communities and whatever it is, when the Sanhedrin gets reestablished, there's not going to be the Sephardim Paskin this way and the Ashkenazim Paskin this way and the, the Yemenis Paskin this way. Okay, we've narrowed it down to almost, you know, to very clear insights at this point. But when the Sanhedrin meets again, then it's just going to be one halakha for everybody. Right? It's still a bit of a galus, a bit of an exile construct that's, that's still remaining. But, but the beauty is that even within that, even though we have like, okay, so this community has this and this community has that, they've boiled down mountains and mountains and universes of thought down to a practice. This is incredible. This is incredible. And this is our actual job to do. It's not like, oh, how does it have to be like that? And oh, it's like that and everything. No, it's amazing that it's like that. And that we get to be part of that finishing process of the divine thought in action. It's amazing that God gives us that opportunity. About that going into the McDonald's thing. Yeah. So I have an identical twin sister, and she eats at McDonald's, and she lives around here. And so people would assume that maybe I'm going into McDonald's, my circle of friends, because we look the same and 
you talk the same. You need because I, I'll be, I'll be at Ralph's and you know, and people say, Carol, oh, maybe it's not Carol. How are you? And I go about my ID. I know I'm not Carol, really. I, you know, I have to take out my, I've had to take out my driver's license <laughs> and prove to people. And she's shopping in Ralph's and buying, I don't know, who knows what and. At factors and you know on Shabbos and so what to do? Oh, that's, that's interesting. Oh my gosh! I never thought that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know we live within a few miles of each other. She lives in before. It's it's a dilemma. I've had to face my whole life. So interesting, you know. I uh. I, you know, believe it or not, I've heard this story before from someone else, but with a different ending. So maybe this will be the different ending for you, too. Someone told me, a woman also, told me that she has a twin sister. And as one of them has become more, you know, Shomer Shabbos, keeping Shabbos, the other one loves Starbucks and goes to Starbucks every morning, and that's just part of her routine and everything like that. And she says, you know, her, her, her twin sister, who also likes Shabbos and, 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 and everything like this, but isn't, you know, is still on the way there, told her that, I want you to know when I go to Starbucks on Shabbos now, I take the back alleys because I don't want anyone to think when I go in there on Shabbos that I'm you. Can you imagine? That's very kind. Can you imagine? Well, Can you imagine to have heard two stories like this? Oh, my God. <laughs> and with it, one with a completely different ending. You know, and it says, by the way, when I first heard that story, I, I, I thought of this, which was that it says that basically <laughs> we're twins, we're story. twins, we're twins with God, right? This is kind of getting to the idea of the above and the below again, that, that, that we're twins with God. And what that means is, what I, what I mean by that, not that God has a human form, God, God doesn't have a body, he makes bodies, God has no human form. So what does it mean, twins with us? So there's something, a category of wrongdoing called a chil Hashem, right? And they say about that, that, um, that, that it's basically that, if a, that, that it's, it's really the worst category of wrongdoing because what happens is through our action, we give God a, a bad reputation. Like there are a lot of people who, let's say there's... Um, a corrupt business person who's, you know, outwardly religious. And they and then and the picture gets in the newspaper or the person's on the news or something like this. And they go, Oh, all of that the whole religion is garbage. Because look at this guy, he's he's the emissary of this religion and he's doing this practice. So this is considered the the the, the worst type of sin because it gives God a bad reputation and it discredits the entire thing, right? One second. So, so they, so they, so it says that um, that that's why it's so bad. Because, so to speak, from this, from this, you see that that people confuse our actions with God's actions. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Because what does what this guy did have anything to do with what God is doing? Right? We're nothing. We're we're less than nothing. 
I mean, we're very great at the same time, but, but compared to God, we're nothing. And one of our actions can actually influence how masses of people think about God? It's crazy. But the, but the Gomorrah says in another place that whatever is true for the bad is true 500 times more for the good. So now think about it in the other way, which is that if you actually do something good, you have the ability to make people love God. <laughs> because that same sort of wiring that exists in people's brains that they, you can give God a bad reputation, you can also give God a great reputation. Right? Even more so. Even more than a bad reputation. Because people on some fundamental level confuse us and God. <laughs> because we're twins. They see our actions as re re representing the divine. So if you do a Kiddush Hashem, which is why a Kiddush Hashem is considered a sanctification of God's name, is considered the greatest mitzvah, you have the ability by smiling at someone or giving someone charity or or loving someone, or being for someone in a, their, in a time of their need, you know what they think? God is great! <laughs> They'll think you're a nice person too, but on a very deep level they think, this is who God is? God is fantastic! So a very inspiring thing to show us what our power is, you know? <laughs>